So, man, I have missed you guys a lot. And I scripted some stuff out here because you guys have seen me cry enough times that I'm hoping that wouldn't happen again today. But, uh, man, I just, Nicole and I love you guys so much, and we miss you all tremendously. And it's been, um, it's been hard to be away, honestly. We've, uh, we've uh, had, ex- had experienced a period of joy and just growth here at LifeSpring in, in a five- to six-year period that was exponential, more than we possibly could have imagined, I think. And so uh, we think of you guys all often, and we pray for you often. Um, you are all, often on our minds. So as I was uh, preparing and sort of getting ready to do this message, I was reading in my devotions in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired in hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is honestly how I feel um, about, about you guys. I just, we just love you guys, and so we know that you guys labor in love, that you endure through some hard things. We know LifeSpring has seen some challenging transitions and some challenging seasons over time. Uh, but man, your guys' endurance and your, your willingness and desire to keep doing this thing is, is really something that is to be marveled at. And so praise be to God for that. Um, the other thing is, is that, that I wanted to say this morning is that leaving LifeSpring was obviously one of the more challenging things that God has asked us to do in a while, Nicole and I. But I think there's two things that I want you to hear me say that are still true as we transitioned out of the church. Number one is that what I've already said, and that's that we have this deep love for all of you guys in a way that, that I can't even explain, uh, that can only be founded in Christ. And so... We think of you guys often, we pray for you often, and we go to, we go to an 11 o'clock church uh, service now out at Alliance Christian Fellowship, ACF in Eagle River. And at that 11 o'clock service, we worship at the end of the service. And so I always think about the fact as they start worshiping at about 12, 15, I always think that we're worshiping together, that we're lifting up one voice, LifeSpring and ACF, uh, back to the same God, because after all, we're all members of the same church. We may attend different buildings, uh, but we're all part of the Bride of Christ. The second thing that I want you to hear me say is that um, Nicole and I really truly believe that God led us out of here, out to ACF in Eagle River, and that still holds true. So um, a, a year into this thing, we have experienced some seasons of, of joy and of just uh, crazy uh, stirring of the Holy Spirit and God sort of leading us and directing us out at ACF. We've also experienced some challenging seasons and some times of sadness and of longing to be back here sort of with this family or, or um, longing for different things. But In all of that, we still see his hand working all around us. We still see him sort of directing us and guiding us. We know that he's leading us out there still, and he's been opening the door in some different ministry opportunities out in Eagle River that have been really rich and have really uh, still continued to stretch Nicole and I, and so we're excited about all that. God is moving, I guess is what I'm saying, is that whether it's with uh, Corey Schmidt-Colfer's church in Spinard or whether it's here at at, uh, LifeSpring in in East Anchorage, almost at ACF. (laughs) whether it's at ACF in Eagle River, no matter where uh, it is, I, I honestly see God moving all over the city, and so it's really exciting. And that's why I just love being able to be back here. It feels like we are still part of the same family, even though um, I haven't been here in a while. So all that aside, I was really excited when Greg asked me to teach. Actually, at first I was really nervous just because we hadn't been back here. And um, there was still sort of a, a wound in my heart, I would say, that was difficult for me to think about coming back and doing this. And then the more we talked about it, the more... Um, I just started to get really excited for it and really just long for this. And so I'm really excited to be here today. And our text is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them out now. That is where we'll spend a bulk of our time. 
And so I'm sure you guys do this every week, but just to sort of recap, the book of Colossians uh, is Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And so the church in Colossae was at the time kind of doing something that I think most churches did from what Paul's letters show, as well as I think that most churches do still. And that is they were starting to drift ever so slightly from the gospel, ever so slightly from the idea that that Christ uh, was enough. And they were starting to supplement some of their, um, like, attempts at salvation with different religious acts. And they were starting to like, well, I'll just do this and believe in Christ. And so what you see Paul doing here in the book of Colossians is he's drawing their eyes back to Christ. He's drawing their eyes back to the inadequacy of all this crazy human stuff that they could do to try to somehow work their way back into God's graces. And he's pointing back to the supremacy of Christ. He's saying, that's all you need. And so he's reminding us that Christ, he was, is, and he always will be the plan for the redemption of God's people. And in our own humanness, in our own sort of broken, ugly, manipulative, angry selves, uh, we're hopeless, right? But in Christ, we're redeemed and we're reformed and we can be clothed in his righteousness and it's a total game changer. And so he's pointing back to the supremacy and he's saying, you can try to do all this crazy stuff, but, but really all you need is Jesus. So keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and shed all this other stuff. And so last week, I think it was Carl, taught out of Colossians 1, or Colossians 3, 1 through 11, which uh, is really Paul pleading with the church and saying, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because whose you are will define who you are. Right? So we have to rid ourselves and shed off all these other things of who we used to be, who we were apart from Christ, in order to really fully walk in the identity that we gain in Christ. And so last week, he lists all these things that we're called to leave behind. And this week, he lists all the things that were required or that were asked to put on in its place. So in our text for today, it's Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Let's read it together. And can we stand for the reading of God's word? <clears throat> Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can be seated. So when I read this text in preparation for the first time, there's something that immediately stuck out to me, and that was the word clothe yourself, or this idea of putting something on. And what struck me and what got me thinking was that the clothes we wear say a lot about our identity, the identity we claim. The things that we choose to put on or put on our body, they tell about what our identity is. Now, they may not be our identity, right? But they may tell what socioeconomic class we're part of, or what groups we might belong to. They, they say where we place value, right? What our job is, maybe. So the example that I thought of is that when I walk into Providence every morning, I put this badge on. I'm a pharmacist at Providence. 
So I put this badge on, and this badge is sort of the issuing of a certain identity. And so what this badge does is it really does three things. The first thing is every morning when I put this thing on, I'm reminded that Providence selected me to be a pharmacist in their facility. This is my job. This is what they pay me to do 40 hours a week in their institution, right? It says uh, Ryan, Stevens, or Ryan, clinical pharmacist, and then in big letters it says pharmacist. But what this really does is it helps me know what the identity is in my own job. I center myself in this. Um, the second thing that this thing does is that it identifies me to the other employees of the hospital. So for instance, if I, were to, if I were to walk into sort of the bowels of Providence, back down like way down deep into the OR, and I didn't have my badge on, then I'm probably gonna be turned away. Someone's gonna stop me and be like, whoa, whoa, who's this bearded guy walking around in the back of the OR? But if I have my badge on, it tells all the other uh, workers, all the other employees of Providence that I belong there, that I belong to their group, that we share a common mission, that we share a common identity, right? That we are sort of belong together. Now the third thing that it does is it identifies me to uh, patients and their families, people just walking around the hospital. I can't tell you the number of times a day I get stopped only because of my badge and someone says, excuse me, because Providence is a maze, obviously. It's uh, impossible to find your way around in there. Um, but if they stop me and they say, hey, how do I get to the cath lab? And so I'm like, oh, you must have known because my badge, and I sort of give them directions. So it shows the people around us, it shows the outside world, sort of outside of Providence, that I belong there, and that I might be able to help them, that I might have something for them, right? So the identity that I claim when I put this thing on is for myself, it's for the people that belong to the group that I'm part of, and it's for the say, outside world, for people that don't belong to the group, right? So... What we clothe ourselves in, what we put on, it really does matter. It matters for ourselves, it matters for our, our in, and it matters for our out, the people outside of our immediate circle. And see, this is important, and I think this is sort of why Paul uses this wording when he's talking about this, because we're people that God chose for redemption. Like, he chose us, that's really important, don't miss that. He chose us and he cares for us, and he loves us, and he longs for a relationship with us. But the problem is that of our own will, sort of in our own broken human state that was outlined last week, we would never really be able to stand before him in our street clothes, right? If we were to think of it that way, in our natural human street clothes, and be counted as worthy to be with him. So what he did was he issued us a badge. He issued us a uniform, sort of an identity that we can find in his son, and this identity, and only in this identity, can we clothe ourselves in a righteousness that makes us worthy to stand in front of a God, right? As holy and as righteous as the God that we serve. So this clothing that we're called to put on is really a, sort of a uniform, right? And it's a, I'll use that terminology a lot today, this uniform of Christianity. And it's laid out for us in Colossians 3 in our text for today. So the uniform is, and I think, Nate, if you'd throw it up there, I have them, yes, the uniform is compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, peace, and thankfulness. Like easy enough, right? So these new clothes, right, this, if we choose to put it on, it will help us identify with the Christ and with the God that we claim to follow personally. It will help us to uh, have a rich and, and meaningful church and community where everyone is serving the same God and we all identify with the same God because we can see it on each other in the clothes that we choose to wear. And it will identify us to the world around us as followers of Christ. 
It shows that we're set apart, right? That we've given up our old identity. We have, we're called to take it off. And what remains is this conscious decision to put on this, this new uniform, right? That we've been issued. And actually in that, as we put it on, we start to represent Christ and represent God, the God that we follow to the world around us. So what we're called to do is we're called to have a relationship with the Father, to have an identity fully rooted and founded in his Son, and that that identity, it should change us in a way that manifests itself to the community outside. So for myself, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I'm not going to lie and I'm going to say that this changing of clothes is not something that's always super easy to do. Been, and at first glance, it, it sort of looks like Paul might be simplifying the problem a little bit here when he says like, oh, just put this on. But what I think that he's done really in this text in 12 through 17 is I think he's built a threefold argument on how we can actually strive to put the uniform on. How we can begin to, to be sanctified, right? To look a little bit more like Jesus Christ every single day. And so he's showing us the case for sanctification and how the process should go. And I think this is really important because we could just try to be more of these things, right? Like my first instinct is to think like, well, I'll just pick one, right? And if I'll just do like one better for a little while, like I'll just be more forgiving. Like I'm going to just be really good at forgiving. And once I get that, I can sort of check that box and I can move on to the next one and I'll slowly get this. But I think Paul says today in this text, like that's not how it works. And yeah, you have to put it on, but there's a specific way to put it on because the problem is that any sort of way that we put these things on of our own will it's not sustainable. It's not as rich, it's not as sustainable as the fruit that would be born out of living life in, in sort of three uh, truths. So here they are. I think that the uniform of Christianity is constructed by God the Father, it's issued by God the Son, and it's put on through God the Holy Spirit. So let me explain uh, what I mean. The text for today starts off by saying that Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, put on these things. And at first, I skirted the first part of this sentence because when I read the text, I was like, yeah, yeah, just tell me what I have to do. Like, what am I supposed to put on? So, so the, as, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, do this, seemed like sort of an afterthought to me. It didn't seem that important. But the reality is that that little tiny piece of the very first verse of this text is the foundation of like everything. Because we can't even begin to fathom this uniform that we're called to wear unless we can first see it, right? And the best place that we can see it is to look at the God that we follow because he created the uniform and we were made in his image. So the very first step to being able to possibly put on those 10 items found in that list of the uniform is to look at God and see him as the foundation of everything. To see him as the foundation of it all. Because the reality is that he created the uniform. And again, I think this is shown to us in Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. We were constructed in the image of a heavenly father. We were constructed in the image of God. And so the original uniform that we were called to wear, it's just a reflection of him. all find their root in God. 
We're called to be compassionate and kind and gentle and patient and forgiving and loving and merciful, all because God was and is all of these things first, right? That God fashioned the uniform and he sets the standards, and so he calls us to be in community with him in order that we might look a little bit more like him, in order that the, there would be an uncanny family resemblance, so to speak, right? That the outside world might look at us and say, man, you look just like your father. And what's crazy uh, and sort of unfathomable to me as I was thinking about this is that God did this. He called us into his family not because of obligation, not because he had to, but because he chose to. Therefore, as God's chosen people, he chose us. We were handpicked to be part of his family before the foundation of the world, right? Like long before we could be saved by the blood of his son, long before we could possibly walk that out in obedience through the Holy Spirit, we were called as part of God's family. And what's crazy is that without this level of intimacy, right, without this choosing and knowing that I was actually chosen by this God that I follow, then the challenge of like putting on all of these things would be way too much to bear. I would look at all of these things and I would say, I can't, I, I, can't, I don't know how I can do this. And I would sort of be like stuck in this hopeless realm. But the reality is when I look at it and I say, God chose me despite knowing how just gross and ugly I was at baseline. He chose me before the foundations of the world and out of that choosing, maybe then, just maybe I can start to look a little bit more like him. The choosing of God is, is foundational to this whole thing. So it's because we were first chosen and loved by a God that we're even able to be saved and that we're even able to begin the process of sanctification. Without the hand selection, we'd be stuck in Colossians 3, 1 through 11, all the stuff last week, stuck in anger and rage and malice, in slander and filthy language and impurities. We see this outside of Colossians 2, uh, 3 also. So in Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, it says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. For he chose us before him, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So before the foundations of the world, we were chosen to be predestined into God's family for adoption to sonship. Our uniform was fashioned out of the relationship with the Holy Creator who saw us, as it says in Colossians 3, as holy and beloved or holy and dearly loved. Now, when you look at the Greek words for this holy and dearly loved, holy is the word hagios, which means sacred or set apart. And the word used for beloved is agapau. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think I'm close, though. Agapau. I do know that it's a variation of the word agape, right? But this agapau, it refers, always refers to a love specifically defined by God. One source that I read said that it was a love from God or through God showing a discriminating affection which involves choice and selection. It's a love from a God and only from a God that chooses us specifically, that's discriminatory, right? And in our minds, we think like, oh, discrimination is bad. Well, this is a God saying, you are chosen by me, selected with love and affection. 
So God didn't fold us into, our, into his family out of any sort of obligation. Right? He wasn't like, oh gosh, I guess I'll take Ryan too. And I think like, we can look at salvation sometimes as being this sort of participation trophy. But the problem is, is that it, if we look at it that way, then it's meaningless. The offer to wear the uniform of Christianity is an honor. The ability to bear the resemblance of a God that is our Heavenly Father is an honor. It's not a participation trophy. It's not an afterthought. It shows that we were selected by God and set apart with a discriminating infection, not infection, a discriminating affection. You see what I do? This is the problem. A discriminating affection that involves his specific choice. He chose us. We are children of the Almighty God, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And only because of this are we able to be even be, begin to think of the process of what it might look like to wear the uniform ourselves. Only because we can look at our Father and say, man, he wears it perfectly. He sets the standard. So then how could we possibly attain it, right? Because right now I stand in this ground sort of where, I've, where I'm at thus far, where we say, like, we, we see the uniform and we see how it's perfectly worn, but I'm not quite sure how I get there, personally, myself. Because, like I said, in my own will, and my own desire to put these things on, it's not going to be done in a sustainable or meaningful way. So what's beautiful is that in John 14, 6, Jesus lays it out pretty clear for us. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty clear, black and white. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the thing is, as I've already mentioned, is that Jesus Christ, he was, he is, and he always will be God's plan for the redemption of his people. The reality is that Jesus Christ hung on a cross in order that we might be made righteous in the sight of our God, in the sight of a God that wears this uniform perfectly, that we might have access back to the Father in a way as close to the original design as possible. And it's only when we fully accept Jesus Christ as the Redeemer and Savior of our souls that we're issued the uniform. We may have seen the uniform on God, but we're only issued the uniform by receiving the gift of his son. Only in him are we capable of receiving it, and only in him will we be capable of wearing it the way that it was intended to be worn. So as we recognize our own brokenness and our depravity, and we sort of lay all of this at the foot of the cross, and we surrender to God, choosing to be identified by the blood of his son rather than by ourselves, then we can actually fully start to appreciate each component of the uniform as, it laid, as, as it's laid out. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, peace, thankfulness are all displayed with perfect strength and with perfect authority by the Father through the sacrifice of his son. It's God's uniform put into action, Jesus is. And as Colossians 3.14 says, they're all bound together in perfect unity by love. So love was the foundation. Love was the reason. Because God chose us and because he loved us, he, he gives us this gift of his son. This love is a love that it doesn't make sense to me. It's without borders. It's without limits. It's a love that would honestly choose a father to sacrifice the life of his only son 
rather than live in eternity apart from us. John 3.16, pretty well known, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, another good one, says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God wears the uniform perfectly. And he issues it to us not because of anything that we've done, but only because of the love that he has for us and only by the blood of his son. That's it. So all of this other stuff that the Colossians may have been doing was drifting from the gospel that says Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be enough. That's it. That's all you need. End of story. And big gifts can be really hard to receive sometimes, right? I think we tend to evaluate our own worthiness to be forgiven rather than look to the reality that it isn't our worthiness, but it's the worthiness of Christ that gains us access back. It's the worthiness of Christ that allows us to wear the uniform. We clothe ourselves in a righteousness that can only be gained in Jesus. And that's what gives us access back to the Father. Nothing that we've done. And we see this all throughout the New Testament, right? Paul reminds many churches in many of his letters of this exact thing, of their need to clothe themselves in Jesus Christ. So let's look at a couple examples. In Galatians 3.27, it says, For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Again, Romans 13.14, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.2, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So only in Christ are we issued the uniform. That's it. In Colossians 3, Paul says, Let the peace of Christ... Rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So after Paul unpacks all of these uniform components, and he says kindness, compassion, forbearance, forgiveness, peace, love, thankfulness, after he unpacks all of these things, what he does is he draws the eyes of the, of the people he wrote this letter to back to Jesus to remind them that though you're called to put all these things on, you are not the access point to the Father. Jesus Christ is the access point to the Father. We come to the Son and He takes us to the Father and makes us worthy to stand in His presence. We can't just try harder. We can't just be better people. We can't just be more compassionate or be more kind or be more humble. We can only look to Christ and let the message of Christ rule in us individually and dwell in our communities and in all of our relationships. And when we do this, when we let the message of Christ rule in us as individuals, then what happens is we're transformed and that transformation will overflow with obedience to the will of the Father. 
in our individual lives. And then in our communities, when we let the message of Christ dwell among us in our communities, our community changes and the transformation overflows with obedience to the will of the Father. And then in our churches, it will overflow with obedience to the will of the Father. And then in our cities, it will overflow with obedience to the will of the Father. But only if Christ Jesus rules in your heart and dwells in your relationships. That's the only way that we're going to be able to show each other the the amount of forgiveness or forbearance or peace or love or kindness or compassion. The only way is if Christ Jesus rules in your heart and dwells in your community. That's it. And then our communities and our churches and our, our individual lives and our city, it might start to look a little bit more like Jesus, right? And Christians might start to look a little bit more like Christ. And what it does is it leaves us fully functional. It leaves us functional to fulfill our intended purpose, the way we were designed, to actually fulfill the great commission of going and making disciples of all nations, right? The only way is if Christ is actually ruling in our hearts, dwelling in our communities. So when we fully embrace this, when we, when we get this idea of Christ dwelling in us, I think maybe it's a little more clear what Paul says in Galatians 2.19 when he says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. He's saying that he had given up his heart to the rule of Christ. He'd given up Paul, he'd taken on Christ, and he allowed Christ to fully rule in his heart and dwell in his community and in his relationships. Because Paul was saying, I don't want to just be a good person. I don't want this whole thing to end and just have been a good person. I want to look like Jesus. I want my life to look like Jesus' life. I want that family resemblance. I want people to look at me and say, man, you look like your father. Problem is you can't put on a uniform that hasn't been issued to you. So once we recognize the Father and all of his attributes or these uniform components and we see the way that he wears them perfectly and we long for more relationship, like more access to the Father that's wearing all these things, the only way you could possibly do that is to access him through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Let me be very clear on that. Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be God's plan for the redemption of his people, period. That's it. And so... Jesus Christ is a gift that is freely given. But let's not make the mistake and say that Jesus Christ was a free gift. Right? He cost God something dear to himself. And so we can't take this extension of the uniform, this issuing, we can't take this extension of grace lightly. We can't just take the uniform that were issued and hang it in the back of the closet, say, I'll put that on on Sundays. Maybe if there's a potluck, I'll put it on on a special day. Because when, we're, when we embrace the kindness, the compassion, the gentleness, the forbearance, the forgiveness, the peace, the love that's extended by God in the flesh in his son, it has got to change us. Lee Hudson um, always used to say this uh, when he was part of, I think it was Change Point Northeast when Lee Hudson was here. Uh, But he always used to say that no one encounters Jesus Christ and leaves the same. You have to be changed. So once we see the uniform worn perfectly and demonstrated by the Father and we receive it ourselves through the blood of his Son, you can no longer be satisfied to let the world or your flesh or any other humans dress you. 
right? We can only desire to be dressed by Christ, by our relationship and our identity founded in the Father and in the Son. And anything other than that is cheap grace. It's a grace that doesn't understand the cost of the gift that has been given. It's accepting God's Son, God's sacrifice, God's extension of an offer to be back in community with him as if, as if it's some sort of a contingency plan, right? Rather than it being the plan for your life, you're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. This other stuff doesn't work out. Maybe I'll fall back on that, right? It's cheap. It doesn't recognize the cost that God paid, paid for that. And the reality is that the gospel, it's a book, right? It's in a book, but it's not just a great story. It's so much more than that. It should shape us. It should dwell in our hearts. It should dwell in our communities. It should define everything that we do. It should shape every facet of our lives. But here's a problem, right? And this is what I'm saying is just because we're issued the uniform doesn't always mean that we choose to put it on. So I think this is why Paul specifically says in our section of Colossians, he says, clothe yourselves. He's saying you've been issued the uniform and you know how it's worn because you've seen it in the Father. Now choose to put it on. But how? Like, I don't understand this because even with my understanding of the Father and even with an identity and this completeness that I might find in his son, I am still a really messy person. If you spend any time around me, you totally understand that. Right? And so there's a lot of days where I'm like, man, I don't feel very forgiving today. And so there's still times where I find it hard to put this uniform that I've been issued on. And here's the best part, right? That, that God is not a duo, father and son. God's a trinity. He's a trio. And so I think so much we can look at, at, at our sort of Christian lives and we can put a lot of emphasis on God the Father and put a lot of emphasis on God the Son, but we miss the Holy Spirit. We forget that God is still here with us now. And so when we see the Father and we accept an identity in his Son, then the only thing that we can possibly do next is to naturally overflow with obedience as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Out of relationship comes an identity, and out of identity comes obedience. We're reading. It's okay, Vicki. You can let her read it. It's good. It's our text. So as we accept our relationship with the Father, as we've claimed the identity in his Son, then the only natural thing is to overflow with obedience as we walk with the Holy Spirit. Out of relationship comes identity. Out of identity comes obedience. You can't just be these things. You can't just say, like, I'm going to be more compassionate. And as I, as, I'm, as I be more compassionate, maybe I can look just enough like Jesus that God will sort of mistake me for him, and then I'll be back into relationship. It doesn't work that way. Because you're never going to be able to work your way back into looking like Jesus in order that God would love you. Because God chose you at the very beginning, before the foundations of the earth. He said, I choose you, and out of choosing you, I'm going to give you the gift of my son, and out of giving you the gift of my son, he's going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. That this trinity, it's not just like this big idea, like a, something we tuck away in our notes. Like the trinity is real. It's the Father, it's the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. 
It's our relationship, it's our salvation, it's our sanctification. That's what it is, every single day. And so the only way we can put these things on, the only honest and sustainable way that we can actually walk in these things that Paul lays out is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to be listening for him, listening for his voice. And what's funny is that Jesus knew that we were going to need this way before we did. He tells his uh, disciples in John 16, verse 7, he says, But very truly I tell you, it's good for me that I'm go- or it's good for you that I'm going away. And the disciples are like, uh, how? He says, unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, then I'll send him to you. He's acknowledging that although the Father is God, and although the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, they all have distinct roles, right? They are one God, three persons. So with regards to the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying that I have to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come and fulfill his role in the Trinity. And later in verses 13 through 15 in John 16, Jesus tells us a little bit more about what that role is going to be. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Follow that one. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he makes known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. It's like this crazy representation of the Trinity in like that one small section. He says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. All authority is given to me. And now I'm, I'm going to be speaking into the ear of the Holy Spirit that will then tell you. So you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit, from the Son, and from the Father all at one time. Three separate persons, one God. saying long after he's gone, he won't actually be gone because he's going to be sending us the Holy Spirit that's going to be guiding us and convicting us and teaching us and leading us. He knew we would need that to maintain momentum. He knew we would need that to put on the uniform that he demonstrated to us and that he issued to us. In John 14, 26 and 27, he says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit is who will convict and lead and guide and teach us. And when we're walking in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, then putting on the uniform will come naturally. So we try so hard to put on the uniform, but the reality is that what we should really be trying to do is just listen for the Holy Spirit. Because when we are listening to the Holy Spirit, then we'll look a little bit more like Jesus, which is where we really claim our identity which is really where our uniform is found. And as we look a little bit more like Jesus, then we'll have access back to the Father in a way that just is crazy. So as I was studying this uh, this week, I found this, this very uh, tense parallel between Colossians 3 and Galatians 5. And so if you go back, if you haven't read Galatians 5 in a while, I would say like go back and read it because you'll see the parallel between the, like Colossians 3, 1 through 17 and Galatians 5 as a whole. But in Galatians 5, what Paul is doing is he's sort of doing the same, like take these things off and put these things on talk. But he lays out for us the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I think that's probably what it's like most well known for. So in verses 22 through 23 of Galatians 5, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that looks pretty familiar. The fruit of the Spirit is the uniform. You see it? The fruit of the Spirit is all of the things that Paul tells us to put on in Colossians 3. It's perfectly laid out for him because he says that because we are gods, because we were chosen by God, and we allow the message of Christ to dwell in our hearts and dwell in our communities, then we should choose to put on the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. It's crazy. We'll choose to put on obedience to the will of God in the way of all of these things, which are all the fruits of the Spirit. So he's saying, just put on the Holy Spirit. Quit trying so hard. And just be with me. Be with the Father. Find your identity in the Son. And all of this stuff will just sort of be easier to put on. So the uniform of Christianity, as it's laid out in Colossians 3, hear me say very clearly that you cannot put it on, you cannot obtain this outside of the Trinity. And each member of the Trinity is necessary in order to be able to do this at all. It's originally crafted by the Father, it's only issued through the Son, and it can only be put on with a willingness and desire to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can't just try to be nicer, we can't just try to be better people, because you cannot work this triangle backwards. Can't just be nice and earn your way back to relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. If there was, if that was possible, stop and think about this. If it was possible for us to work our way backwards and make ourselves better in the eyes of God, then we wouldn't need Jesus. So why would God have sent his son, his only son, to be brutally crucified to bear the entirety of his wrath if that step in the process wasn't absolutely necessary. So why do we still do this? We try to think like, gosh, if I could just be nicer, then I'd look more like a Christian. And then I could, then people would be like, man, Ryan's so cool because he's a Christian. Like, no, because God chose me, I can find an identity in Christ. And because I have an identity in Christ, then I can actually even think that I can look like any of this stuff. So the Trinity is the source of everything, right? We were chosen by God, we are redeemed by his Son, and we will be sanctified through our following of the Holy Spirit. We'll put these things on. So as we look a little bit more on this, or as you think about this, or you meditate on this this week, like let's look at each piece. So maybe what you need to focus on is the idea that God chose you. As you're like sitting to this week in your time, right? In your, your sort of holy set-apart time, which everyone should have, by the way. I'm big on discipline. So take the time to spend time with God every single day. So while you're in that time, maybe what you need to focus on is the idea that God chose you. That like, you got to start all the way at the beginning. And in order to take a closer look at the uniform, you're going to have to see how it's worn perfectly through the Father. That's the only way. Look at the Father and see the source of this whole thing. And maybe what you need is a little focus on the Son. A reminder that out of the love that God had for us, he would allow his Son to die in order that we might be clothed in his righteousness. That we might put on the righteousness of Christ and be seen as worthy and holy and dearly loved by a God that calls us back to him. Maybe you need to take stock of the uniform you've been issued. Maybe you need to like lay it out on your bed. 
Take it apart piece by piece. Look at what you've been called to put on and then look at Christ as the source of all of it. Maybe what you need a little bit of, and I think this is what I probably need a little bit of, is a little Holy Spirit, a little more Holy Spirit, right? So the question that I would ask is, are you listening for him? Do you listen for his guidance? Do you follow his instructions? Because Christ left us with the Holy Spirit in order that he would convict us and teach us and guide us, in order that Christ would be able to be with us even though he's not physically with us. So maybe you need to tap into that spirit in order to sort of practically wear the uniform. In order to display the uniform and the love of God to sort of all of the world around us. And so again, the Trinity is not some ideological trio. It's not something that we tuck away in our Sunday school notes. It's not something that we put on the shelf and take off when we go to church on Sunday. The Trinity is the source of everything. It's the source of life. It's the source of purpose. It's the source of identity. It's the source of obedience. They're the source of righteousness. And they'll guide our lives on a macro level. I tend to think of it that way. Like, yeah, the Trinity guides my life as a whole. Like, if I looked at the whole thing as a play or like a two-hour movie, I'd be like, yeah, definitely guided by the Trinity. But the reality is that the Trinity will guide our lives on a micro level as well, right? In small decisions that might seem meaningless. Listen, the Holy Spirit is there. He's speaking. And each one of those little micro decisions will make up the whole story of your life. And the Trinity wants access to that. They want to speak into that. We should fully embrace it. Because if we did, then ourselves and our families and our communities and our churches and our workplaces might look a little bit more like Jesus. Might actually function the way that God hoped that they would function. But as I get ready to close for today, what I don't want to miss is the importance of the final verse of Colossians 3.17. Nate, if you throw, maybe back it up one slide. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because here's the thing. As we put all this on, we don't put it on so that we would be cooler or like, like I said, be better people. We put all of this stuff on in order that God would be glorified, right? In order that God would be lifted high, in order that his name would receive all the glory that might come out of a life of obedience, not for ourselves, but we lay all of that stuff at the foot of the cross and we say, God, I'm a mess. You can have it. I want you to be lifted high. I want you to be glorified. So as we find our relationship with the Father, and as we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of his son, and as we walk in obedience through the Holy Spirit, may it all be so that God and God alone will be glorified. Let's pray. Father God, only, only you are capable of crafting this crazy of a, of a plan that just fits together so beautifully. Lord God, I can't even understand it. But what I do know, Lord, is that man, I trust you. And I'm so thankful that you chose me, that you knew me long before I was born, long before that I, I was even personally like thought of, God, but that you chose me before the foundations of the world to be predestined for adoption into sonship in your family. Lord God, you chose all of us to be part of your family, to have access to you, and you knew that that would only be possible through your son. So Father, thank you for that. 
Because how apart from that could we even begin to, to stand before you and be anything? Be worthy? Be even close to righteous, Lord God. It's only because of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that and we recognize the weight and the cost of it. We know that it is a gift freely given to us, but we know that it was not free. And so, Father, hear our gratitude. Hear our thankfulness as we say thank you for your son. And Lord God, I'm so glad that you didn't just hang on a cross and then disappear from this world to let us sort this thing out on our own. Because, man, what a mess that would be. And Father, I just thank you that you're still here stirring us up with the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we would be guided, led, convicted, taught by the Father, by the Son, through the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you that you care enough about us to be with us here now, not just have been here a few thousand years ago, not just have set the whole thing up, but God, that you, you are here now and that you want every piece of our lives that, that we have. You want the whole thing. So thank you that I can just come and just collapse at the cross, God, and say, just take it all. It's yours. So Father, as we leave this place this week, I just pray that the gospel would not go home and sit on a shelf. I pray that the gospel would go into our workplaces. I pray, pray that the gospel would go into our communities and into our friendships, that it would go into the way that we husband or wife, into the way that we parent God, that it would just penetrate every aspect of our lives, that it would not just be some ideological thing that we say like, yeah, the gospel's great and it saves me at the end of my life, but that it would be every single day and every decision we make, God, would be founded on the idea that as we clothe ourselves with the righteousness of Christ, we can stand before you. So Father, just help us to live that out. Help us to, to walk that out. We give you the little things, we give you the big things, God, and we just ask that you would rule in our hearts, that you would dwell in our communities. And we just thank you that this word is true and that it was so eloquently and completely laid out by Paul. So, Father, bless this family until I see them again, Lord God. Fill them with love, a love that would be the thing that drives the labor that they have for your gospel and for the furthering of your works, God, that, that your love would motivate them to love each other better, to love East Anchorage better. Father, that they would find an endurance that can only be found in you, an endurance that can only be supplied by the, the Trinity, God, that an endurance that would just drive them through major trials, Lord, because you're bigger than all this stuff. So, Father, bless them greatly in their community and in their church, your church. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.